Gracias for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle episode 48 is brought to you by the best mouthguard maker on the market. I'm talking about Sisu mouthguards. You could talk, you could breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard up in your grill. I use one, Gumby, you use one, and when we're at Open Mat, we have long conversations while rolling and between rolling because you can actually understand the person with a mouth guard in your mouth. This is a feat of science and ingenuity I don't think anyone ever thought was possible. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Get yourself the right mouth guard for your sport or activity. We are also brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. They make fight gear made out of hemp. I roll in their fight shorts. They're very durable. They're antimicrobial, which is very important when you're in a germ-filled environment filled with microbes. I don't mean to get political on the show, but I am antimicrobial. You can head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a nice little discount. So in summation, Datsusara Hemp Gear and Sisu Mouthguards brings you our episode, which features an interview with the one and only Tim Kennedy, and it starts right now. Are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, featured on the Sports Daily Network. Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we don't waste any time. We get right into it. Nothing about our days or our hair or any lollygagging or horsing around. We're just going to talk that straight MMA shit. So let's get right into it. Demetrius Johnson had his toughest test to date against Tim Elliott last night, but he survived. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but in that first couple of minutes, Maybe even the whole first round. I thought we had a new flyweight champion for a second. I thought that guillotine for sure was going to put him away. He, it was tight. And you know what? Elliot brought a very interesting puzzle for Demetrius Johnson because he's just so wacky. And he never gives up. He has uh, pretty good scrambles. And, it you know, although Demetrius started to control him as the fight wore on, you never really felt like he was absolutely out of it, though. No, I I never felt Elliot like he was out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I never felt like he was out of it because his game is so awkward. And I think I said it last week on the preview. The thing that excited me so much about him fighting Demetrius Johnson is that he's got a style that you can't emulate. And and you know Brian Stan said it a hundred times on the broadcast. But you can't prepare for Tim Elliott because, I mean, when he came out, was it the third round he came out doing the robot? Mm-hmm. And it was just, like Johnson didn't know what to do. And he threw like a double hand punch to follow that up, which is just like one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. Um, so, I, I mean, he brings like such a weird challenge and, and it was really exciting. It was it was definitely Mighty Mouse's toughest test. He was pure chaos. Uh, it definitely had an element of Gus versus Jones for me because it was Demetrius's toughest test to date. And that's kind of how... How I uh, felt, but that all being said, what do you do with Demetrius now? Who's next for him? God, that, I, I mean, like, so the obvious answer is is once we talk about the co-main event, is it seems like Joe ben, Joseph Benavides is getting his third shot. Boring. Yeah, I'm not interested at all. But the other name I will throw out there is a potential is Koji Horiguchi uh, is on a three. Gooch. Fight. Yeah, he's on a. Th- Three-fight win streak as well. Um, maybe not against the same names as Joseph Benavidez, but I could certainly get more excited for him because right now he's looking like he's making vast improvements. And, and we'll talk about the co-main event in a second. I'm not sure Joseph Benavidez is making huge improvements. He seems mostly like the same fighter. What do you do with someone like Tim Elliott? I actually think Elliott versus Cejudo makes a lot of sense. Uh, I do too, but uh, I heard recently this more as as recently as this morning, he has no interest in going back to 125, which you could see him in the cage with Demetrius Johnson, much, much bigger fighter. Uh, but the word is, and I'm pretty sure he said it in some post-fight interviews, is that he almost quit cutting weight while he was in the sauna because he felt like he couldn't make it down to 25. So the the word on the street is he's going to be a bantamweight from now on. Uh, and I actually think he matches up well at bantamweight with a lot of people, too. Bantamweight is absolutely loaded right now. I'm all about it. I also have a question for you. Uh, the guy that Tim Elliott beat... Um uh, Oki Kabu. Oh, uh, Hiro, Hiromasa Okakobu? Yeah. What do you think his chances would be against Johnson? Because I really like his grappling. He kind of reminds me of a mini Sakuraba. I think he would get lit up on the feet, but he's someone, you know, with another win or two in the UFC. I think he could challenge for I the think, title. I think his top game is really, really, really impressive. My worry is, is that he had trouble once 
uh, once he, when he was facing Tim Elliott, keeping Tim Elliott down. And if you had problems keeping Tim Elliott down, keeping Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson is not going to be easy. Um, and I do think he gets rocked on the feet by Johnson. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but the co-main event, uh, obviously there was a point taken away from Cejudo in the first round. What did you think of the scoring of that fight? Well, first of all, I will say that I think I was the only person watching the fight or commentating on that fight, for that matter, uh, who believed that Cejudo should have lost that point. He got warned not to kick Benavidez in the groin, right? He kicks him in the groin. Twelve seconds later, he kicks him in the groin. Right. How, how do you not take the point away? And, and you know, Ma always said, don't play ball in the house. Next yeah, thing you know, someone loses an eye. Exactly. And, and people always complain that they don't take points away soon enough for grabbing the cage and that there's you know no consistency with warnings this guy gave him a warning he did it 12 seconds later and got penalized for it i, now, I was happy with that what do you think of marcos rosales the judge that gave cejudo um rounds two and three so i i didn't give him him rounds two and three but i did give him round one and two even after the point was taken away in round well one? so a tie in the first round after the points taken away and i gave him round two Okay. I actually thought that more more likely that he did more damage in round two. So at the end of the fight, I scored it a draw. Which uh, I'm on MMADecisions.com, uh, great website, and uh, the majority of uh, media also had it as a draw. Yeah, I, I think that that was a smart decision. I thought clearly Cejudo won one and two. Okay, now here's the other fight I really wanted to talk to you about, Gumby, and that was Gray Maynard versus Ryan Hall. What you had was Ryan Hall... Uh, engaging in a game of Iminari roles, and it really frustrated Gray Maynard. Maynard refused to even engage on the ground, uh, even after Ryan Hall would miss an Iminari role. And if you're uh, not a grappling nerd like myself or Gumby, you know this is something that uh, Wonderboy Thompson actually employed against. Uh, or sorry, this is something that Rory McDonald employed against Wonderboy Thompson this past June was an attempt to get in on an Iminari role to try to set up some sort of leg lock. Ryan Hall's obviously a master of it. Uh, and Gray Maynard would evade, he would run away, but he refused to even try to strike Hall when he was down on the ground. And Maynard was getting visibly upset. The ref sort of seemed to get frustrated as well, not knowing when to just say, okay, I'm going to stand Ryan Hall up. And a lot of fans uh, in the arena started to boo. A lot of trolls online uh, didn't like the fight. I loved the fight. Not to mention the fact that Ryan Hall got the better of Maynard when they were standing. Yeah, I, I think that that's the part that people don't understand too. So a lot of people online were like, his falling down is bullshit, which, first of all, he's doing more than falling down. It is an attack. It's an offensive attack. I think attempt. people don't realize it's an offensive attempt. And yeah, it, so if you want to argue that it's not effective, okay, I'll listen to that. So it's not effective grappling. Gray also didn't have effective grappling. So you can call that a moot point. People forget that on the feet, Ryan Hall blasted Gray Maynard. He hit him in the face with at least seven hook kicks that landed pretty solid, one of which stumbled Gray Maynard. Yes. You know, if you're thinking about what Gray Maynard did for output, non-existent. There's no, no, I think he landed 12 punches, I think the, the fight metric said at the end of the day. So I don't know how you could score it for him. The thing that Gray Maynard should have done, if he didn't want to get on the ground and he didn't want to grapple with one of the greatest grapplers in, in MMA right now, with the exception of maybe Demian Maya, he should have kicked his legs every single time he went to the ground. He should have thrown leg kicks. He did that a little bit in the third in the round, third and I was round. like, why didn't you do that to if, begin with? If yeah. he did that the whole fight... The the judges would have seen it as him being offensive, not him running away. Yeah, I just I did pull up fight metric and Maynard landed twelve of forty two attempted strikes. Uh, Ryan strikes, Hall, not even punches. Yeah, that's strikes. He landed twelve strikes. And Ryan Hall forty six of one seventeen for thirty nine percent rate. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, Hall I don't... landed Hall landed almost four times as many strikes and did the only attempts at grappling, how anybody could have that for Gray Maynard is beyond me. Not to mention where Gray Maynard, I mean, I don't know. It's just, this is so frustrating for me. It's mixed martial arts. If you just want to be a boxer, go go box. Yeah. I, Gray Maynard's never tried to employ wrestling before? Yeah. 
<laughs> Ryan Hall tried right? to employ right. Ryan Hall tried to employ Jets. Yeah. I, I don't know where else to go with that. All right, Gumby, real quick, give me some of your standout performers uh, from that card as well. Uh, I like Jared Cannonier dropping down from heavyweight, beating Ian Kudalaba. He looked nasty at light heavyweight, and then the former heavyweight said he could make middleweight if he he stays on this diet long enough, which is crazy to me. Um, always a joy to watch Rob Font knock somebody out. Rob Font's a deadly dude. That front kick knee combination was sick. Rob Font for me is becoming very dependable violence. I know I'm going to get violence whenever I get his fight. And I was looking over his record. I can't believe the UFC gave him John Lineker in Brazil in his third fight. And Lineker missed weight in it as well. That to me is something you wait till a guy's like fifth fight to go and give him some on the caliber of Lineker in Brazil. But that all being said, I think Rob Font, again, bantamweight loaded. I am loving some of the fighters at bantamweight right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he also had some wrestling and some sweet jujitsu in that fight too before he got the knockout, which to me just shows you how well-rounded he is. Um, and then I, I feel like we'd be uh, kind of a little silly not to mention the weird ending at the end of the Moss Vidal, uh, Jake Ellenberger fight. I hope that gets overturned to a no contest. I, I think Brian Stan said it best. They said the rules are you have to intelligently defend yourself. Taking your toe out of a cage is intelligent defense. That's the most intelligent thing he can do at that point. <laughs> I saw a great tweet online where someone said they should get the old school WWF uh, blue steel cage with like, the <laughs> massive squares so they wouldn't get their feet tangled in the cage anymore. <laughs> That's yeah, that, that, that's such a funny comment. Oh, I love those cages, though. Uh, where do you go with those two fighters, by the uh, way? I'd just say run it back. Really? Run it back with Masvidal, uh, Ellenberger. Don't get me wrong, Masvidal was winning, but, like, Ellenberger was ranked 15. He had a ranking, and he loses a fight while he's still conscious just because his toe is stuck in a cage. And, and I think he would have gotten it out eventually. Yeah, the official uh, the official uh, result was Masvidal beat Ellenberger via TKO uh, four minutes and five seconds into the first round. So you would just run that right back. I'd run it right back. All right, fair enough. Well, one other bit of news I wanted to get your opinion on, Gumby, and that is that Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes were let go of their office positions by new UFC ownership. What were your immediate react? What was your immediate reaction? So my immediate reaction was kind of a little bit of shock because those two people are so much what you think of when you think of the UFC but in the same sense it's not shocking at all because the people who now own the company have no relationship with those people and they're looking at them like a line item on their their spreadsheet these people cost so much and what are we getting out of them and the answer is is like a couple of autograph sessions every week right you know like Chuck Liddell is like snapping pictures signing autographs and stuff like that and I can imagine the amount the UFC is paying him to just to live and be an ambassador is far too much for them. The official position, Liddell was a vice president of business development. That sounds made up. And Hughes <laughs> was the vice president of athlete development and government relations. Uh, that seemed like something that was needed. I think he would go and speak to various athletic commissions and, you know, as a voice of a former fighter. Yeah, I, I think he was in on a lot of those fighter summits, too. He was, uh, I think, one of the big ones in the veteran fighter summit that talks about like retirement and how to set money aside and stuff like that. Um, and I think he was in on some of the new fighter summits too as well, um, which is a good, a good thing to have around. But again, you could probably just run those same summits with somebody who costs an eighth of the price. Here's what I'll say. I think when the initial amount of UFC office layoffs came happened, you know, a lot of people were like, well, this is what's going to happen. It's not a family owned business anymore. They're going to be run by like a, you know, a, a mega company. And now this is sort of the exclamation point on it. You have two legendary fighters who were given sort of honorary office jobs just for the sacrifice and contributions they made to the UFC and it's growing days. And the new owners are like, yeah, we're good. So, you know, it's, they're owned by a real, company now it's not a family-run business and that's the bottom line because stone cold steve austin said so all right i want to transition now i'm so excited we got a chance to sit down with tim kennedy uh he obviously made massive news this week with the announcement and formation of the mixed martial arts athlete association we spoke with him mainly about that but uh, a number of other things as well his upcoming fight with kevin gastelum even got into some politics and uh home defense as well so i will play you that interview but first i I want to say that it is brought to you 
by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. Check out their fight gear if you're into MMA. Uh, you can check out their bags as well, all made out of hemp. And when it comes to the fight gear, it's antimicrobial, which we all know is very important when you're in an MMA gym. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. I roll in their shorts, and I absolutely love them. Head on over to dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE. Get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Tim Kennedy. This is David Tremonti of MMAManifesto.com, the Top Turtle podcast on the Sports Daily Network, and I have the pleasure of talking to Tim Kennedy, who fights Kevin Gastelum at UFC 206 on December 10th. Uh, obviously, Tim, you made a lot of news this week. Before we get to anything concerning your fight, uh, the announcement uh, that you are a founding board member of the Mixed Martial Arts Athlete Association, absolutely huge news. Um what was the nature of what you guys spoke about, the five main board members, before the announcement was made? Uh, who came to you originally with this idea? Uh, it actually, it wasn't anyone coming to us. It was a lot of the ideas and intent and desire out there trying to get it executed at the best level at the highest level at the perfect level at the right organizational level at the right strategic level and, and and you know even though it had kind of in the past been tried before it had never been you know as, so i'm kind of like a perfectionist i'm a very exacting planning um disciplined type person mm -hmm. uh, military college you know like wh wherever that came from um and that has always been missing so this was the first time, so like two years ago, um, and obviously I have been a proponent of this my entire career. Like if you go back 10 years, 15 years, you're still going to see me saying the same things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's about fighter pay or compensation, fair compensation or pensions or medicals or like I've always been a pretty outspoken person about this, as has Cowboy. Um, Kane has on occasion, um, you know, but he's he's kind of at points of his, in his career been deterred from speaking out. Um, George St. Pierre, again, obviously he's a very brilliant businessman, successful outside of the cage. And he is very strategic in his execution of things. And he has been very outspoken. So all of us had this desire, had this want, had this, um, this need. Um, and it was just the right. So two years ago, really things got put into motion the planning, you know, the strategic execution of when we're going to announce, how we're going to announce, who's going to be part of the team, what legal representation is going to be in it, how are we funding this, you know, where are the, what are our goals, you know, what, what are our marching orders, what, what is the layout plan, what is the, what are we trying to achieve, what, you know, what, is, what does that look like, how are we going to do it? Um, so 36 hours ago, we, we kind of finally stepped forward and made the initial and it is, I promise, that is just the very, the very tip of the iceberg. I'm sure you got during the press conference, the press call that we didn't reveal very much, and that's by design. Right. Um, and we are very purposely going to be laying out a little bit more in the coming weeks. Very interesting. And and two, so two years in the making for this mixed martial arts athlete association, correct? Yeah. Wow. Correctamundo. All right, so Cowboy, uh, your training partner and friend, uh, he had a great quote. Uh, he said, I'm scared to fucking death. Were you scared at all? Did you have any worry about backlash? I know you guys are at different points in your career, but did you have any concerns? Um, I mean, I've always gotten rough matchups. You know, I've, I've sat on the shelf for long periods of time, uh, some, sometimes by my choice, sometimes not. So what I know... And what I want all other athletes to know is that at this point, at this juncture, with this amount of attention, uh, the worst thing that Zufa, the UFC, WME, IMG can do is have backlash to the athletes that come out to support the association. Um, if they come out and support the association, and we will be rolling out hundreds in the next few weeks, hundreds of athletes that are already on board, that have already been on board, um, they, 
will see they, 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 there's not a chance that any of them could be that there'd be any reprisal that there'd be any thing taken out of them. they can't I mean that is the um, you know as an employer myself you know if I, if I have an employee that does something or speaks out and I did something uh, negatively to you know get back at them for what they did the amount of legal ramifications that I'm liable for are un, are, are just like uncomprehensible sure. and it's no different here. So anybody that comes forward and they will be, we, that's part of our plan. Um, they're, they're, they're going to be more protected than not. Um, and I a hundred percent understand Cowboy's words and, you know, he, there are so many things, especially in the course of, you know, Cowboy's career, having fought for so long, so many fights, you know, and he's the guy, he's the guy that you go to, you know, like, Oh man, we lost an opponent. We need a last-minute fill-in, like two days beforehand. Let's call Cowboy, and we need somebody in a different weight class to fight a number two contender. Oh, let's call Cowboy. <laughs> you know, and he has been that fighting eight times in a year, like the most fighting dude, like he and Neil Magny, like yep. in the entire roster, and he has nothing that he's ever benefited from being that way. You know, like right. so. There's a lot of things that could happen to him. You know, he could be shelved. Um, he could get uh, really bad matchups, um, and that can happen. You know, like subjectively, that's up to the opinion of the matchmaker. Um, and you know, you could get passed over for title shots, like like TJ. Um, you know, where the politics have just ha- the nature of the beast. So these are things that are going to be things of the past. Those, those are going to be the old dark days of, of mixed martial arts. You know, we are moving forward. We just sold for $4.2 billion. This is a, this is a big, this is a big boy sport. This has grown up. This is now, these are now adults talking, you know, this is no more like mafia backroom negotiations. This is the real deal. Um, you know, we just broke every record for Madison square garden and not only in gate sales, not only in, how many people tuned in? How many people walked in? How many much? How much people paid for tickets? But also the pro- most profitable in Madison Square Garden history. Madison Square Garden, the most recognizable, biggest sports venue on the planet. Mm-hmm. More than Muhammad Ali, more, more than you know the basketball teams that play there. More than Tyson. More than anybody ever in the history of that venue. We made the UFC more money than that, that night than anybody in history. I think for, I guess, from the sidelines, you know, you, yourself, GSP, and TJ has been very outspoken, uh, especially when everything went down. You know, he loses a close split decision loss uh, to Dominic Cruz, and then where's the rematch? You know, it, it, you could tell his frustration with why do certain people get rematches and title shots, and he didn't. I think the two most surprising figures up there were Kane and Cowboy because Kane seems to you know he's been more of a company man the past few years and the same thing with Cowboy you get the sense that him and Dana White are like text buddies and BFFs and he fights whenever they need him and I think those two don't get me wrong the five of you standing up there was a powerful image but Kane and Cowboy I think were the two surprising ones for people oh my god and you you actually nailed a lot of things on the head right there um, so Cowboy has been and Kane have been the company men 100% you pick, text him yeah I'll fly anywhere fight anybody anytime <laughs> that's Cowboy right right locker room bonuses dudes getting pay-per-view numbers guys getting 15 12 to 15 million dollars to fight at Madison Square Garden and Cowboy's getting like 100 grand right okay Kane Velasquez Former heavyweight champion, number you know, number one arguably contender for the title in his after his upcoming fight. He's after this fight, he's moving into his eighth surgery, which is already scheduled. Okay. So let let's say he goes and wins the title. And he retires as a former and then a two time heavyweight champion of the UFC, the ultimate fighting championship at the heavy in the heavyweight division. He has no pension. He's eight surgeries into his career, and he has no medical. Mm. So those two guys that you just listed as your examples of like, that's kind of weird that they're on there. Now take a step back and look at their careers. 
the amount of damage, the amount of the desire to support the UFC, the desire to be the guy that they call. And then at the end of their careers, they have nothing, nothing. They could live in poverty for the rest of their lives after the UFC, like the Mark Coleman's, like the Ken Shamrock's. You know, like it is a dark, bleak picture after your career in, in mixed martial arts. Like J- George St. Pierre is a one in a million. Yes. Yep. You, can you can you list can you list anybody else besides GSP that has been successful outside of the UFC after their career? Or is everybody that you look through, the Dawn Fries that are on their deathbeds, having fought at the highest level? Uh, nope, you paint a very accurate and bleak picture. I love this sport. I love it to death. I've been doing it for 15 years. This sport is going to die in five years, five to ten years, when the data about and, and, the, and the knowledge about what happens to, to the fighters, to the athletes, after their careers, when, when that comes out, people won't want to watch. People won't want to buy that $65, $69 pay-per-view unless they know that those athletes are taken care of. Just, just like the NFL. You know, like, the, the, I mean, there's a period where, like, oh, man, football might go away. Right. But they did the right thing. You know, they took care of them. They set up pensions. They set up medicals. You know, they did the TBIs, the CTEs. They did the very comprehensive checks of every single one of their players to make sure that they're protected. So there's a safety net for these guys when they're just done. That doesn't exist right now, but it will. I promise you it will. So you mentioned hundreds of fighters. Are those current fighters or current and old fighters as well? Retired fighters. Oh, man, we have. You won't won't believe the hundreds of fighters that we have that are former fighters. Um, I'm talking current fighters. Hundreds of current. So of the 500 current semi. I I can't give you any numbers whatsoever. I was kind of intentionally vague with giving you a general idea just so you can appreciate. That is, we made our announcement 36 hours ago. Mm-hmm. And since then, I have, in addition to the ones that we had that we have lined up beforehand that weren't part of the initial announcement, um, I don't even know, maybe 200 emails, text messages, or direct messages saying, how do I sign up? Wow. And, and there are current champions, current champions included. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Very powerful. This is real. This is, this, is, this is the real deal. This is the best and brightest brains in all of athletic existence right now, from the Major League Baseball to football to soccer to basketball to hockey. Every, I mean, guys, representatives from players' unions, lab, labor strike consultants to, I mean, like the most smartest lawyers in in any litigation having to do with athletes are backing this and are part of this. So I have to ask this, and I know the life experiences that you've gone through, I, I don't think you're worried about repercussions next week, but you have a fight in about eight days from when we're taping this right now. Do you, when you go to work, oh, so, that close? Yeah. December Ooh. 10th, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right there. (laughs) So when you go to work, so to speak, next week, uh, open workouts, the weigh-ins, the the day of the fight, I mean, are you expecting someone from the UFC brass to come and talk to you, or are you expecting business as usual and it's going to be an icy cold shoulder? I think it's going to be business as usual. Um, I don't think it's going to be brought up. I mean, maybe it's like, hey, man, I'm really – I mean, obviously, all of the athletes are going to be trying to talk to me about this. And, you know, if anything, that's going to be the most distracting part. Um, you know, having to say, man, listen, just, just wait one week. Let me, let me get this fight out of the way. That's going to be the hardest part is, uh, waiting, but no, I don't think I don't, uh, until the tidal wave of recognition and understanding and emotion that exists behind this, when the stories start coming out, from former fighters and current fighters about, I mean, just where they're at in life 
and what needs to be done for this to be made right, when those things start coming, it's going to be a tidal wave. And that then it's, it's not going to be a cold shoulder. It's not going to be um, called out at a fight. It's going to be, hey, man, what do we do to fix this? Hmm. I'm really looking forward to that conversation because none of this will work without the UFC being massively successful. Right. 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 So if, if we're talking pensions and medicals, I want to grow the UFC from a, you know, a $4 billion thing to like a $10 billion thing, you know, like where we're rivaling the NFL in how many people tune in. That's going to be a great problem to have. And then our fighters are going to be fairly compensated. And then our athletes are going to be taken care of. And then everybody, I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you see the pride that even retired NFL guys have wearing their rings, you know, being like, Oh man, you know, I played for this team for this many years or the baseball players. You'll be like, Oh yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was with the blue Jays or I was with the Dodgers and, um, you know, their families are taken care of their, their, their kids get to go and get glasses and braces. But right. more importantly, that pitcher that threw his shoulder out, you know, play, throwing back to back games. Um, and, you know, has to have rotator cuff surgery or, you know, bicep tendonitis. It's covered, as it should be. So without giving away too much of the battle plan, <laughs> it, step one. I'm not giving away any of it. Okay. So well, I'm still going to ask this. Step one is to get All as right. many fighters on board as possible. Is step two to them? We could, we could go forward with what we have and be massively successful with, without even getting any more. But we want every, we want every single current and UFC fighter that has ever fought to be part of this. So like, obviously we're not stopping. Um, I mean, just you could grasp like kind of where we're at the, un, the unveiling and the, the weekly updates and the stories and um, the reveals of kind of who's part of this, those with who we already have on board, we could go for months are you guys willing, is the term labor strike, has that been thrown around? Is that something you guys would be willing, no. hasn't been thrown around? No, that hasn't been mentioned and I, okay. it won't be needed. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Now, I, I got to ask you, we could wrap up on the on the MMAAA, double M, triple A. Uh, you know, Bjorn Rebney was someone, and I, I heard you on Luke Thomas's show give a very good defense. Uh, being a former promoter, it's kind of a necessary evil to have his mindset on your side, to know the ins and outs of the business. I do want to ask, though, what do you think his motivation is? Is it to maybe appease for some sins as a former promoter who's had some very public uh, bad negotiations and back and forth between Eddie Alvarez, King Mo, Luke Rockhold, is it to hurt the UFC? What is his motivation in this? Whew. Um, I almost don't care. Yeah. Uh, because w we need him. We need his knowledge. We need his experience. I need his perspective. I need all of the, the things that he's done right and all the things that he's done wrong. Uh, I need all of that. So if it's to get back at the UFC, well, that might be kind of childish, uh, and I, you know, that's not cool. That's not. I don't. I don't believe, and I don't. It doesn't make sense. That's his motivation. Um, I think that his motivation now is to take care of fighters. I think maybe there's some guilt in there. Maybe he's trying to make up for wrongs in the past. I don't know, but man, he is committed to this association. You know, like mind, body, and spirit. You know, I, I text him at two in the morning, being like, "Hey, dude, I just got off the phone with this person. I can't believe they called me. They 100% want to help us in any way that they any way that they can." Um, and he responds immediately. You know, at two in the morning, hmm. um, the hours that he's put in and the amount. You know, like he, he doesn't have a salary. He's doing this and pro he, bono at this point. Yes. He really wants to do the right thing for the fighters, as, as does every one of the board members, as does every single person that is already stepping forward saying they want to help. They, they, know, they know and they recognize that change needs to happen. 
I know from the initial conference call, well, when might we find out who um, some of the other board members and people funding this uh, are? Is that going to be revealed sooner rather than later? So it's not a lot of money first. So I, I don't know what the like, – I'm already back in training camp, so I'm already talking to people um, in in my gym and on the phone. And as is Kane, as is TJ, as is Cowboy – you know, as a GSB at TriStar, you know, you have AKA Jackson's alpha male, um, the BMF and ranch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, 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 you, you, you kind of have like four out of the eight biggest gyms on the planet included right there. So, you know, that's like maybe a third of the UFC roster just in our gyms. And like, we walked back in after the announcement and it's like, Hey bro, what's going on? So like, we're not flying people in. It's not like we're traveling around the world and our phones have been ringing off the hook ever since the announcement. Um, a lot of the legal counsel and PR people are, are behind this because they love the sport and they're like, and they realize that it's been a travesty. It's been an egregious wrong for these fighters. And, um, and then the, the people that have come forward with, with money to help support this, I mean, right now to me, they're heroes. You know, they're just trying to help, and uh, so that w- you know that that that's going to come out. It's it's and it's not like you can ever hide money. Yeah. So you know, but it's not in it's not in like the the near future that we're saying, hey, this is this is where um, you know all of our support's coming from. Here's our entire strategic back plan. Here's you know here's our playbook. That's not how this is working. Um. Uh, some of the fighters every, every week, you know, we're going to be talking about, Hey, welcome board. Super excited. You know, you're going to hear on podcasts, people going on there and being like, I'm so proud to be part of the association. Um, just got off the phone with Tim or Kane or GSP and, uh, like, Oh my God, I'm pumped. That, that has been the resounding echoing sentiment is, uh, just pride and excitement. Got you. Well, listen, I, you know, I want to move on from this. I want to also congratulate you on it. It was uh, an industry shaking news announcement, as promised. Uh, the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. It's already up to uh, 5,988 followers as of taping, and they're at the MMAAA on Twitter. Uh, and obviously, you know, other fighters, associations, unions, whatever you want to try to call them have come before. But this one uh, is, is much different with the names uh, at the top. So, Tim, I want to move now just to your fight with Gastelum real quick. Longest fight camp ever. You're supposed to fight Rashad at 205, got moved to 206. Rashad had his issues. Uh, not sure what those are. It's obviously a private medical condition. Uh, and Gastelum steps in. What do you make of the, the opponent change this late in the game? And uh, are you excited just to get this fight over with? Yeah, it's, uh, this has been quite the training camp. Um, fortunately, in New York, I was able, I was forced to take a break. Um, so there, after making weight, uh, I, I ate. I I uh, um, ate a lot, you know, I had a, I, I took three or four days of, of letting my body just get back to a hundred percent. So are we talking like New York or, pizza, New York delicatessen? Did you just go crazy in New York? No, 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 man. I don't, I don't even, I don't even think I have the enzymes after such a long training camp to, you know, if I went and had a pizza, yeah, I'd, I'd explode. I'd die. I'd just fall over dead. I, I had a gigantic steak. I had sweet potato fries. You know, I had a couple of glasses of wine. Um, I even had some uh, a pork belly appetizer. Ooh, that was amazing! And like this, this bourbon flavored mesquite. I'll, I'll, I'll call it sauce. Okay, it's like barbecue sauce, kind of. But it was like this reduction of of like bourbon smoky mesquite. It was amazing. <laughs> I wanted to cry. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So I put on like 35 pounds in a matter of eight, in, uh, 18 hours. I put on 30 pounds in 12 hours. And did you have to change things for the opponent now? Are you training a little bit differently? Or is it just kind of a, I'm doing my thing and whoever shows up at the other end of that cage, you know, I'm ready for whatever they throw at me. Where I'm at right now, I, I want to be the best version of myself. And I don't think that anybody in front of me, when I'm the best version of myself, can, can handle what I can do both from punching power, punching speed, kicking speed, kicking power. Um, and 
both Rashad and, and I think Kelvin are going to have similar game plans. You know, they're going to try to box and run for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Kel, Kelvin's going to try to, you know, use his ever-improving striking and his wrestling to defend takedowns and, you know, keep things as a boxing fight, as I think Rashad would have. You know, obviously, one's southpaw, one's not. Uh, one throws looping punches, one throws more linear punches. So while there are some differences, the overall game plan has uh, remained similar with some small adjustments. I am pumped for this fight, and uh, it's not going to be an easy one. Kelvin is really good. Yes. He's underappreciated. He's underrated. You know, he has two losses in the UFC. Both of them have been very, very close split decisions to guys that are at the very, very top of their divisions. So I am not taking this lightly at all. Uh, I want to end just on two offbeat questions. I try to stay away from politics as much as possible on a mixed martial arts podcast, but I do have to ask, I know you've commented on it a little bit in the past, uh, you know, with some of POTUS's uh, cabinet members that have been named, you know, they weren't uh, as draining of the swamp as maybe promised, but from former servicemen and women, the, the, reaction to general mattis being named has been a resounding thumbs up uh what were your thoughts on uh him being named uh to the trump cabinet am i allowed to cuss on this podcast go ahead so we have had an entire generation of i mean nearly impotent cowards as leaders on the military side people that have cowered and have bowed to presidents saying oh yeah yeah that's a great plan let's do exactly what you're thinking person that has never been in the military ever in their life and started their entire career as an adult as community organizer sure we'll do that that is fucking insane Mm -hmm. that has gotten people killed that has made us lose the middle east we were a dominant presence there and now we are fighting wars on our own soil in new jersey in new york in florida in ohio in san bernardino in michigan in fucking insanity this is, this is what happens when you have Secretary of States and POTUSes that are executing their ignorant game plans overseas, then we fight war in our own country. Okay, I don't want – I'm a special forces sniper. I don't want to fight in the United States. That's not what I want to do. That's my worst nightmare. You want to talk about my fears? That is having to fight in Austin, Texas, radical terrorism. That's crazy. Now let's talk about Mad Dog Mattis. (laughs) That guy is one of the greatest military minds in generations. You have to go back to World War II to find somebody of his intellect, his philosophical perception of warfare. He is truly the leader that we have dreamed of having, that that every single military member aspires to be. He embodies I mean, that guy, I, I mean, pick, oh my God, <laughs> so excited, so proud, thrilled. Um, I'm re-enlisting uh, against my wife's and my, my manager's opinion. Um, I said that if I was waiting to see who would be leading this country and who, I'm not, a, I wasn't a Trump supporter, I definitely was not a Hillary supporter, but I wanted to see who was going to be exactly where General Mattis is. And because of him, I'm looking forward to, you know, another four or five, even six years in special forces. Wow. That, that's actually, that's, that's great, man. I, I'm glad I got to ask you that question. I try to stay away from the politics, but I, I'm glad I got to ask you about him because uh, it does seem like he is the right man for the job. And last offbeat question, Tim, I got to ask this. I don't know if you've been following this. Anthony Pettis. I don't know what's going on up there in Milwaukee, but his cars were set on fire in his driveway a month ago, and now this week we find out those same cars were broken into, caught on security camera footage. I mean, can you go up there and just help him out? What's the Tim Kennedy home defense plan for Anthony Pettis? I mean, I, I sent him a message. Uh, I, I know he has you know hundreds of thousands of followers. If anybody does have his contact information, share mine with him. So I own a defensive tactics company. I... I, I consult people all the time on how to set up their home for security measures. We, we do it for schools. We do it for corporations. Like that is what my companies do. You're like if, if you came to my house right now through the bulletproof windows with the eight different cameras, <laughs> with the motion sensors, with the gigantic dog, with the, you know, like 
it's unreal. And I'm so safe, as are my kids, as is my wife. They don't know 90% of the things that are already in place, um, the measures that I've taken to ensure that I don't have to worry about their safety. Um, I, I feel sorry for them. It is a horrible thing to live in fear. Yes. So if, if you know, it is an open invitation. If he needs help, our door, um, you know, Tim at Sheepdog Response, or he can go to Sheepdog Response, just email info at Sheepdog Response. Dot com and uh, one of my partners, one of my consultants, one of my security advisors, dude, they'll they'll fly there and take care of him. Something needs to be done. It's it's truly a dangerous situation he's in. Yeah, agreed. Well, uh, I'm glad I got to ask you that as well. And hopefully, uh, when we release this, we could get that in the hands of Anthony Pettis and he reaches out. Tim, I, I can't thank you enough for the time. I definitely kept you longer than uh, I promised. Tim fights Kevin Gastelum at UFC 206 on December 10th. Check out the Mixed Martial Arts Athlete Association online. Groundbreaking stuff. Tim, can't thank you enough, uh, and best of luck in the fight. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, and I uh, wish you the best. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Tim Kennedy. I think that that point he made about 100-plus fighters uh, all being in on this well, is just kind of really, really, really fascinating already. Sorry to cut you off, but... Um... I wonder, so what does it mean to be on board? And I guess we're going to find out. He's going about this with like a tactical battle plan approach. They're not giving away too much. But I know, um, you know, like uh, on the Fight Companion uh, podcast with Joe Rogan, Brendan Schaub, Schaub said he's a part of it as an ex-fighter. I just want to know, what does that mean? I, I, do they have people sign contracts? Is there a card? So, you know, so, you... So, Yeah, my, my thoughts right now is it's probably mostly oral he's talking about here. But if he has 100 people telling him orally that they're in on it. Hundreds, by hun- the way. Hundreds of people who are saying orally that they're in on this. Remember that there's only 550-some-odd fighters in the UFC. Say he's got 300 who orally say that they're in, even if, like, you know... Um, he has a majority of the roster. Yeah, e- even if, like, 25 of them to 50 of them find out what it really is and are like, shit, I don't want to know that, he's still got 50% of the roster. Yeah, so he said the term labor strike has not been thrown around and he doesn't think it'll need to be. Uh, what did you, what do you think of that? I feel like it's going to come to pass when the rubber meets the road. I hate that phrase. Uh, that they, you know, if they have 50% of the fighters and let's say a big pay-per-view is scheduled for this April, I'm, I'm thinking like in the next couple of months, and they're not getting what they demand and want, they're going to have to threaten to not show up to fight. I think the only time they're going to threaten not to show up to fight is if the UFC says they're not even going to sit down with them. I I think that that's what he means by that because I I think that this is a process that's probably going to take 6 to 12 months of negotiation in order to get anything to happen. So they're going to have to, first of all, see how many people they do have. If they do have a lot of people, then they've got to come to the UFC and say, look, hey, we've got 400 people. You got to sit down with us. If the UFC refuses to sit down with us, I think then's when you see a threat of that kind of stuff. But I think the UFC probably will if they have that many. So I think right now the UFC, and I wanted to talk to Tim about this, and I just didn't get a chance to because we ran out of time. I think right now the UFC makes uh, $150 million per year from Fox. I'll double-check that. It might be like one fifteen. And what the investor portfolio that made its rounds this summer when they were looking to sell uh, said was that they will be looking for four fifty a year, four hundred fifty million a year from their next TV partner. Now call this the starry-eyed dreamer in me. But if they were to get a three hundred percent increase in TV rights, if they just siphoned off even. 50% of that, 45% of that to just go directly to the fighters. And don't forget, there are also rumors that the UFC is going to drop their in-house production to cut costs, hand over all production to their TV partners to save money, uh, maybe even get rid, this was another rumor, of you know high-salary guys like Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg. Again, that would go to their production partners. I don't see why. I mean, I, I actually do see why, because WME is a company that's looking to make money and pay back their $4.5 billion they spent to buy the company. But I do think that TV contract, if the fighters negotiate the right way, if they could get a piece of that, I think everyone could walk away happy. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I, again, I think that this is just something that's going to have to come to a table somewhere. And if they do have the numbers that that Kennedy's claiming right now that they do... 
I think the UFC is going to be forced to sit down with them at least and how long that takes and how long before they get frustrated and how long before they threaten something might be up in the air. But I, I think that they have a real basis to negotiate. And if that 8% number that they're only making 8% of what the, the total taken is, is accurate, I, I, I would see no reason why you couldn't at the very least triple that. It's going to be a very interesting next few months. I think more will come out on this, and uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. Gumby, we have a double shot weekend this coming weekend. Obviously, UFC 206 on uh, Saturday night, but Friday night, we got a nice little fight night uh, ravaged by injuries, uh, and it takes place at uh, in Albany, so uh, the second UFC uh, New York card in under a month. Uh, it's going to be headlined by Derek Lewis versus, and I'm going to just kill this name, Shamil Abdul. Durika Himov. Yeah, that sounded right. Yeah, All right, that was close enough. enough. <laughs> All right, so let's break this down, Gumby. You have Derek Lewis is coming off a um, four-fight win streak. He just beat Roy Nelson via split decision back in July, knocked out Gabriel Gonzaga before that, TKO'd Damian Grabowski before that, and TKO'd Victor Pesta before that. So I think you could call him a knockout artist. Uh, Shamil is coming off a split decision win over Walt Harris, beat Anthony Freytrain Hamilton via decision back in February, and he lost to our boy with the best mustache in the game right now, Timothy Johnson, uh, back in April of 2015. So he is 2-1 in his last three. Who you got here? I think Abdurakimov is, is a really tough out in that, like, you know, he's got good wrestling, so that could fuck with... Derek Lewis a little bit because I, I mean the last time Derek Lewis lost he lost to Matt Mitrione and it was mostly by Matt Mitrione plowing him with some wrestling so I, I think he's probably a tough out in that way but I do think his chin is is touchable I mean Timothy Johnson knocked him out uh, and if Timothy Johnson's got the power in his hands to knock him out Derek Lewis definitely has the power in his hands to knock him out because I think Derek Lewis has got some of the heaviest hands at heavyweight, and that's saying something. I don't think you need to have a PhD in MMA to really break down a heavyweight fight such as this. It's going to be a slugfest. Throw bombs. Yeah. If Derek Lewis hits his chin, it's over. Awesome. Derek Lewis, the minus 180 favorite. Shamil Abdurahimov, the plus 150 dog. It sucks because this card has just been killed by injuries. It was supposed to be our boy Aljamain Sterling fighting. Yeah. He got injured injured anyway the new co-main event you know you're in trouble no offense uh when anthony freetree and hamilton is your co-main event he's a plus 350 dog against francis naganu the minus 530 favorite what do you think of that i mean you could say the same thing about this one uh hamilton's got some decent wrestling if he can get naganu down and beat him up on the ground uh he's got a chance but it's just again one of those fights where i think naganu's got the hands starts on the feet Every single round, Naganu wins by vicious knockout at some point in time. All right. Uh, looking at the rest of the card, Gumby, why don't you give us a couple of standout performers or fights you're looking forward to? I know you're an MMA nerd, and you're probably looking forward to all of them, but just kind of <laughs> channel the average MMA fan. Who, who should they look out for? Uh, I would say if you're an average MMA fan, uh, we talked to Gerald Marshart last week. Uh, he's a veteran of over 30 fights. He gets his debut finally. Fun to watch. Um, and then Randy Brown. You never want to miss a Randy Brown fight. He's pretty damn exciting. Uh, he's got leg locks for days now on top of his crazy striking. Randy Brown will be fighting. Uh, was that? Uh, he's fighting Brian Camozzi. Oh, now. yeah. The, yep. uh, the other Camozzi. The yep, Camozzi brother. The other Camozzi, and, not Chris Camozzi. And our boy, friend of the show, Mearshart, is fighting Joe Gigliotti. Other yep. friend of the show. Other friend of the show. Yeah. And uh, we also interviewed Mark Diacasey, uh, who's a, a British prospect at 10 and 0. He's fighting Frankie Perez. Um, that's kind of a fun fight. It, it, it's just such a shame that this card fell apart so much. There are seven fighters that they took off of this card for one reason or another. The MMA world never sleeps, and we will cry for no one while this is a depressing Friday night card in Albany, New York. The very next night, you get pa uh, Anthony Pettis versus Max Holloway as your I'm sorry for the Albany card. Yeah, and, and we'll break down that whole card on an episode later this week, so make sure you tune in later this week. We got an awesome guest in Robert Whitaker. Uh, along with the breakdown of that card. Awesome. All right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for joining us on this show. You, of course, can catch us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You can head on over to Facebook, search for Top Turtle MMA. You could email us on Gmail at Top Turtle MMA 
or wait, sorry. Yeah, Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. Too many ats in this world, Gumby. And of course, we're available wherever a podcast is being streamed. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. Give us a like, give us a listen, give us a download, give us a follow. Gosh darn, do we appreciate it. Thank you to our sponsors, Sisu Mouthguards, SISUGuard.com, and Datsusara Hemp Gear. You could head on over to DSGear.com to check them out. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We'll be back later this week with our boy, Robert Whitaker. <laughs>